So, Lord, I just want to thank you that as we turn our attention to you, upon your word, that it would be living and active in our lives, that even as Spirit of God, you have breathed the Scripture, I pray that you would come and breathe it afresh in our lives. There would be fresh breath. There would be oxygen in our souls, in our spirits, for that which you're wanting us to to be engaged with. And I pray, Lord, that you give us the ability just to, to hear, to see, and to receive what you're saying. But I also pray, Spirit of God, for encouragement, for courage in our hearts to live true to what you have called us to. And so we just pray that you would come and just unravel and reveal the beauty of your words to us, your people. We pray that in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Last week, we looked at the vision here at Harvest, and we looked at seeing that it's harvest time. The harvest is now. It's right here, right now. What does that mean for us? As we say, we've been, we know that Julian uh, spent some time revealing just the Father heart towards us, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I picked up from then, and I was speaking about not only how Julian had put the attention on, um, do you know how good God is to us, but are we seeing what God is seeing when he looks at us? Are we getting into sight what he sees when he looks at you and me? The way that we do that is we go to his word and we see his promises, his truths, um, everything that he is saying that reveals who you and I are. And I want to continue on that thread this morning because I feel there is something that takes place in us when we, we start to understand how God sees us that gives us a foundation, that gives us a strength, that gives us an ability to live out of that place into all that he has called us to. So we're going to take a few moments just to get into Philippians 2. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 2. And we're really just going to spend some time in the first two verses there. And I'm still hearing a bit of a feedback, if you can check that for me. But I was watching TV the other night, and there's the show, and I might get the title slightly wrong, but it's called The Luckiest People Alive. It's just, uh, I just caught it off chance, one of those documentaries, and, and it's speaking about those people that have had near-death experiences and how lucky they are to be alive. And in this, this situation, there was a man who, it was his dream to go skydiving. He had been longing to do it, I think for about eight years, he had been putting it off, putting it off, didn't have the courage to do it, but eventually people encouraged him, and he thought, okay, here's my moment. And so he went up, and there was this cameraman filming him, there were two instructors alongside, And that moment came when he had the courage and he jumped out of the plane. And as he was um, falling, you know, they were smiling and he was a bit nervous, but they were thumbs up and everything was going all right into the camera. And then the instructors came and assisted him to to pull the rip cords and the chute just unfurled. You know, it just just opens up, this massive chute. And you caught it with the cameraman's eyes. And then you notice something a little bit odd because the chute, kept unfurling and kept disappearing about 300 meters into the air. And the problem was it wasn't fastened onto the cliffs. It was quite a problem. And you could see the problem visibly when the cameraman put his attention back onto the individual who had lost his, uh, who had lost his shoot. But as he was tumbling through, these other two instructors kicked into gear. And they came and, you know, they can position their bodies and glide in. And they, they took his hand and they put it on the safety ripcord and he pulled that. And his, um, his, the safety chute opened up and he was able to land. A little bit hurt, maybe a little bit bruised. You know, when I look at that situation, I didn't probably think he was the luckiest person alive, as the title might have said. But he was very fortunate to be alive. And the reason I share that is because we all need, we all need support. We all have those moments in our lives when we're facing a difficult situation 
when we need support in what's going on. We can't handle it on our own. And as we look at this scripture, we start to see Paul, and he's asking these questions. He's going to ask four questions to you and to me. He's going to start to to provoke a response in our hearts to understand how we relate to God and how God relates to us because he wants you to know, he wants you to be aware of the support you have in Christ. We need to be aware of the support that we have in Christ. And so Paul is going to ask these questions. And life is continually asking us questions. I, I, I don't know if you find this, but so often, I mean, maybe you found you ask factual questions. You can take Siri and you can say, Siri, hey, Siri, no one's phone's on. Just wanted to test that out. I've been thinking about that for a while. You can say, hey, Siri, what's the weather like? And someone will, man, I thought it was going to work. Anyway, and someone will say, um, I mean, Siri will respond and say, the weather's rainy. It's a factual response to a question, and you don't think of it anymore. But then you get other types of questions. It's the questions that we ignore. You know, maybe you, it's the telemarketing or the advertising or the media and Facebook and all these things where there's these questions being asked of you. And it's rather you would ignore it than answer it. Sometimes you answer when you should be ignoring. I don't know if you have uh, any young kids. My little guy's two years old and I'm back in the Barney stage. And what I find happens is that I put Barney on because he's a great friend to soothe my, my little fella. And uh, often in the midst of it, Barney starts asking questions. You know, where is Baby Bop? And, and you start responding and Baby, Bop, he, Baby Bop's hiding behind the jungle gym. And you start answering these questions that, that Barney is asking. And you realize that your two-year-old left about 30 minutes ago. And, and you don't know why, but you're engrossed and you feel you've got to respond. Some questions you should ignore. My wife is here, and, and uh, she knows this to be true. She's been giving me a hard time of late because she says, George, I, I ask you something and you don't answer me. Is there something wrong with your ears? There is nothing wrong with my ears. I'm just very wise. I delay before responding. Because sometimes it's better to ignore a question that your spouse asks you than to answer. I'm not going any further into that one. But there are other questions there are other questions that come that penetrate your heart. They go deep within. They, they provoke something. They call for a response. They linger. They challenge you. And that's the sort of question that Paul is asking here in Philippians chapter 2. He's asking a question that should challenge you, should go deep in your heart, should provoke something. You've got to have an answer for this. Paul is saying, don't go further than understanding this. Get this truth. And he asks these questions. These are questions, but in a sense, they are statements as well. These four if questions. And it starts off in verse 1. We've got it on the screen. Thank you. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from His love, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, Paul is asking these questions because he's wanting us to think about our relationship with the Father. He's wanting us to think about our relationship with Jesus. He's wanting us to be aware of our fellowship with the Holy Spirit and what that should look like, what we should be receiving and how it should be outworking. He's asking, are you aware of the way that God is loving you and has loved you? Are you aware? Are you fully aware of the way that God loves you? I mean, that's a... 
That's a beautiful and a straight shooting question that Paul is asking there. And in Philippians 2 verse 2, it goes on to say, then make my joy complete. He's saying, if you are aware, if you know those things, if there's that support that you're feeling from God, if there are those foundations in your life, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Paul is saying these, these marvelous blessings, I want you to be aware of them so that they can be a motivation for us to live in the fullness of it, but also in the outflow of it. So my title is What Keeps You, and that water splash is meant to be from overflowing. What's keeping you in your relationship with God, your experience of Him, your fellowship with the Spirit of God, what is keeping you and me from overflowing? I want to say often it is because we don't know what we have in Christ the beauty of what's yours and mine. And that's what Paul is driving home. That's what he's reminding us here. And he's saying it should be a practical thing. I'm talking about practicality, not high and lofty spirituality. I'm talking about practicality. Because if you and I are in a relationship with God, an authentic, wholehearted, devoted, loving relationship with God, where we are able to give Him love and receive His love, it should do something in us that is tangible and visible for others to see that they can taste the fruit of your life and mine and know that God is good. There should be something practical and outworking in our lives. And the starting point is we have to experience it. The starting, the starting point is we have to know this love. And he's asking, have you received these things? Can I ask you, have you received his encouragement? Have you received his comfort? Do you know what it means to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Have you experienced his, his tenderness and compassion towards you? Have you experienced that? Paul is asking these questions. And I want I wanted to do something unusual. I want to ask us to pray concerning them. Because, you know, so often we get up, caught up in praying for other things, which are good. We know the word says you have not because you ask not. And we can come to him with every need to receive help in our time of need from his throne and grace and mercy. We can come confidently before him. We can come with every and any need. It's a beautiful thing. But so often we're praying because of our material needs and our comforts we're wanting or discomforts we're experiencing or finances that are too low. And those are good things to take to a loving father because he is your source. Sometimes we're praying about our health, whether they're little issues or big issues. And we're saying, Lord, I need you here. And those are great things to go to him about because he is the great physician. He says, I am the Lord, your healer. Sometimes we're going to him about behavioral things and we're saying, Lord, I just need, I need some help to break through of this lack of discipline when it comes to carbohydrates and sugar. This was my prayer a little while ago. I need, or maybe it's an addiction or maybe it's a habit and he comes and he transforms us. Something transformational happens in your life and mine. And those are beautiful things to pray about. But I want to ask you to pray, and I want to encourage you to pray for this. I want you to pray that God would manifest His love in a practical way in your life and mine. I want you to pray, Lord, will you manifest your love in a practical way in my life? Because He loves to surprise us with His goodness. And He wants us to invite, that's what the psalmist says, and He wants us to invite Him into that space. I want you to pray. I want you to pray this. Can I ask you to ask the person near you what their name is? Can you turn to someone near you? Just greet them, ask their name. 
Names aren't that long. I need your attention again. I want you to pray, and I want you to remember not only to pray for yourself in this week ahead, but I want you to pray for the person you've just introduced yourself to. Can you be aware of them? Can we be, can we be holding each other up in prayer? That's my encouragement, and this is what I want us to pray. Father, I want to pray that you would help me to recognize the encouragement that I have in you and being united in Christ. Father, would you, would you help me to be encouraged in my unity in Christ? Would you allow me to recognize your comfort right in the, the midst of whatever I'm facing? Will you make your comfort practical to me? Will you allow me to experience what fellowship with you, Spirit of God, is like? Will you sensitize me and alert me to what fellowship with you is like? Will you make your tenderness and compassion feel real to me? Would you manifest your love for me in that way? I want you to pray that. I want you to pray that for the person next to you because often we don't pray those things. We don't recognize those things in our life. And if that's not the foundation, and if that's not the source for you and for me, how are we going to overflow with living waters of life to a thirsty world that's in desperate need to taste and see that God is good. It's got to be real in us so that it can be real as we move forward. And Paul is saying, I want you to think about these questions because as you think about them, I want them to become fuel for your soul. I want you to become fueled with these things. I want there to be a reservoir within you. And he's saying it's important because if you don't feel them and if you don't acknowledge them right here and right now, then it's going to be a struggle for you to live out a life of love encountering others because there's a deficit within yourself. But it's a deficit that we choose to live in. It's not of his choosing. He wants you overflowing. And so Paul is driving this home. He's asking these questions. He's provoking. He's cutting right to the heart of the matter. And he's saying, check this out. Is there fuel for what God wants from you? And there's a, a, simple, um, a simple thing that I remember of a lady here at Harvest. She's not here this morning, but she wouldn't mind me sharing sharing this. Um, she had a lovely new vehicle, and she used to do a lot of the driving the kids around to sports and all the picking up and the lifting. And one day she was driving this lovely vehicle, and it started to, it just seemed to lose power. It was slowing down. It was starting to stutter a little bit. There was a bit of smoke coming, and eventually this thing stopped moving, and she, she didn't know what's going on with this car. So she phoned her husband and she asked him to come and to assist her. And he said, what's happened? And she said, slowing down, stuttering, smoke, not moving. And she said, I need you to come and help me. And he very wisely asked her this question. He said, honey, did you put diesel in your petrol car? And she realized, yes, that's it. I want to say diesel will not fire in a petrol tank. It just doesn't get hot, hot enough for that. And in the same way, in your life and mine, if we are not putting in fuel that's ignitable, combustible, able to, um, there's a catalyst, there's explosion that takes place within us. There's the fire of God in our hearts. If there's not that within us in terms of how God sees us and feels for us, then we are not going to be able to go anywhere quickly. I'd spoken to Bob Hazlitt, um, just a professor, Many of you would know prophetic ministry from the U.S. It's going to be with us in March, and, and I think the 10th of March. Really looking forward to that time. Uh, he's just such a, a great friend, but he's been such a blessing to this house. And he just said to me, I said to him, well, Bob, what's the, what's the theme that you're feeling as you come to minister with us? And he said, I just get this, this phrase, forward. 
I just love that, you know. When someone else says it to me, it's nice. But when the prophetic man of God says it to you, there's something in that. And he just said forward. There's something about being ready for what God's going to do. That when he puts his foot onto the accelerator, as the Holy Spirit does that, there needs to be the fuel within us that ignites, that is combustible, that starts to fire, that there can be a forward movement for what God's wanting to do in and through your life and mine and us as a community right here and right now. Something about what God's doing. But is there fuel in your heart and mind? And Paul is asking these questions to provoke us to look and say, is there fuel? Are we, are we sensing in practical, real ways God's love and care for us? Are we starting to sense that? Is our, within our hearts, are we firing on all cylinders in our relationship with God? You know, it's one thing to say God loves me. It's one thing for me to say that God loves, God loves you and declare it to you. But it's a wholly different thing to have moments, to have places, to have had experiences with God that you know, that you know, that you know, because He has practically, wonderfully, magnificently manifested His love for you that it's beyond shadow of a doubt. That's what I'm praying, that you will experience an encounter. So that when Paul asks these questions, there's a response that shoots forth. You don't need to process it. You don't need to think about it, but you can answer. I've known his encouragement. I've known his comfort. I've known fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I've known his tenderness. I know his compassion. And so I'm ready and I'm to engage and to go into forward gear. Thank you, Prudence. I see that hand. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. This is such a deep theme, the love of God for us, that I want to read this from the Amplified. It really does Amplify it and takes two verses and makes it a whole bunch. But it's just so rich and so beautiful. As I read it, let it just wash over you. It says in verse 3, Blessed, gratefully praised and adored, be God and be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant and boundless mercy has caused us to be born again. That is to be reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for His purpose, to an ever-living hope and a confident assurance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that. His mercy is boundless. It's, It's abundant. He comes to you in His love. He causes us to be born again, renewed. We become a new creation, and He calls us to a living hope. This is what his love does in your life and mine. He doesn't reluctantly offer us salvation. He is wholehearted in what he does for you and for me. It's just this beautiful thing we see outworking of the love of God. 1 John 3 verse 1 reinforces this. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. You know what that word lavished means? I pronounced it wrong wrong in the first. It means sumptuously rich, profuse luxurious, elaborate, extravagant, opulent, prodigal, because it's radical in its expenditure. He's saying, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. 
I love that if you are in Christ right now, that is what you are. You are a child of God. And not only are you a child of God, I don't care what others have preached and said and declared and spoken over you. I want to tell you what the Apostle John is saying to you through the holy, breathed, living, active Word of God. He is saying that God loves you and is lavishing His love upon you profusely, elaborately, extravagantly, opulently, luxuriously, without holding back. God is lavishing His love on you and me. Lavishing His love on us. Because you are a child of God if you have received Christ. There's the beauty of that response that we need to make. That we see Jesus for who He is. The love He has for us. What He wants to bestow upon us, do in us. And we respond and say, Jesus, I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. You've got to know why. It's because He's wanting to lavish His love upon you. It's because He's wanting you to know that you are children of God, and that is what you are. I love that statement. And 1 John 4 verse 11, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's got to be, he's saying there's something of the same way that God is loving you, comforting you, lavishing his love upon you, encouraging you, pouring his mercy upon you that should be working in you so that in and through his grace, you are able to love others as well. Not through a striving, not through a jumping through hoops, not through a legalistic whipping, but it's, it's through the grace of God, through that same love that I've received, that I'm able to release it and pour it out to others. There's this overflow that takes place. And that's one of the great truths of Christian loves. Because I want to say this, in my own strength, I will never be able to love you enough, care for you enough, encourage you enough, show you tenderness and compassion enough, have fellowship with you enough. I'll always be short in that. I'm barely able to do that with my kids. They wear at my sanity in myself. That challenges me living in South Africa. We had Titch and Joan in the early service. And, you know, how do they have such love to pour out continuously in challenging situations? How did Mother Teresa do it? How do these heroes of the Christian faith do it? How do they work it up? I don't have that love, but I don't need to have that love. I need to experience His love. And with that same love, that empowered love that comes from the Father that is lavished upon me through fellowship with the Spirit, born out by His grace, I can become a release point of that love to others. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing for Durban, South Africa, because then if that starts to happen, the church will arise beautiful and powerful to more than meet the need of what we're surrounded by. Because I want to say, if we've got, as we said last week, if we've got no hope, then God is not with us. Because let me tell you, He is the God of all hope. And when you start to realize He is the God of all hope and He is with me, and you start to step in a situation, hope is alive right there, right then, right here, right now. We've got to be alive to that. Paul is asking questions that are provoking this within us. So there are these four questions, and I want to just jump into them. We're not going to go through all of them in detail. I want to go through the first two, and then I'm going to give you homework with the second two. But let's get into the first one. I love this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, I love that statement. It's, it's, I mean, how can you not be? If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, 
You see, sometimes we don't engage with this. But let me tell you, the early believers, this idea of being united with Christ was no small thing for them. This wasn't a small matter. This wasn't just an encouraging statement to make them feel good. But this idea of being united with Christ was deeply relational and deeply spiritual for them. This was, a, this was a significant thing because as the Bible teaches, when we become followers of Jesus, we identify with Christ at a spiritual level. We identify with Christ at a spiritual level. And he's saying we have become united with Christ. And I love what um, Rich shared last week and he'll continue this evening. Romans 6, 4 to 5, if we can put it on the screen. I actually don't know if I, yes, the, the scripture is there. Let me read it to you. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. As followers of Christ, we have been united with him. This is a a deep and a beautiful spiritual truth. At a spiritual level, your spirit is united with Christ. Is the encouragement that comes to you from there. At a spiritual level, you have been united with Christ. Something has changed within you, and it's magnificent because, and Rich shared this example, and it really spoke to me last week. It's as if when you respond to Christ, it's as if the Holy Spirit takes hold of you and thrusts you into Christ and the fullness thereof. Powerful, beautiful scripture. If we can put that um, that, that slide up with co. And this is what's happened in that moment. You are co-crucified. You are co-buried. You are co-raised. You are co-seated. You become a co-heir with Christ, not only to receive that all for yourself, but that you can become a co-laborer to see his kingdom advancing. And that word co means joint. It means you are now joint. There's no separation or distance. There's nothing that hinders. You are now mutually joint as a co-heir with Christ. What a beautiful statement. Co-crucified, co-buried, co-raised, co-seated, co-ed with Christ. There's no distance. Your union, my union with Christ is profoundly real and intensely intimate. It is profoundly real. It is intensely intimate. That, that's the, the reality of what we're being awoken to. And the early Christians needed to know this. They were facing such persecution. Maybe like the, the believers in Syria, we need to be praying. They were facing obstacles. They were facing hardships. There was a cost to being a follower of Christ. It wasn't just belonging to some club. And they needed to know, and they had this understanding, I'm united with Christ. It means no matter what I face, no matter what comes before me, no matter what tries to intimidate me and have its way with me and push me and pull me and say this to me and lie to me, no matter what comes against me, I am not alone because Christ is with me and greater is he that is for me than he that is against me. And if you're coming at me, you are coming at Christ because I am hidden in him. So you've got to come through him. And he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the almighty God, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, seated on high at whose name every knee shall bow. So there's a confidence that arises. I'm encouraged. There's courage in my spirit because we are united with Christ. Is there courage that you have felt being united with Christ? The picture is a little bit like this. Watchman Nee described it. It says it's like having a magazine 
and you can look at being united and you can take a note, they're two separate things, and you can unite them and put the note in the magazine. But even though they are united, they are still separate. They're not one yet because I can actually just open the magazine and take the note out. But if you take that same note and you put it in the magazine, and then you take that magazine and you place it in a fire, what is left is suddenly inseparable. You cannot separate the note from the magazine or the magazine from the note. And what's true of the note is true of the magazine. And what's true of the magazine is true of the note. And in the same way, as we receive Christ, we are united with Christ in His death, in His burial, in His resurrection. And there's nothing that can separate you and me from the love that we have in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful truth. It's a great encouragement. They were not alone. What are you facing where you may be feeling alone? Last week we spoke about that and there were many, many people that responded and said, you know, even in the midst of crowds and family and friends in those places, there's still a loneliness. And we saw that there's this one truth that really sticks out, that the only place loneliness can be healed is when you are alone with Christ. And when I mean alone with Christ, there is that unity with Christ, because as you are alone with Him and and joint with Him, suddenly that is the healing point for loneliness, because you're never alone again. Can you turn to someone next to you and say, you are not alone? The second encouragement we have is this. If you have any comfort from his love, if you have any comfort from his love, does his love comfort you? Are you aware of that? Are you allowing it to comfort you? I love that word comfort because if you look at it originally in the, in the translations, that word comfort didn't mean I find my favorite chair and I sit back and relax. But that word comfort meant to be fortified. It meant to be provoked to a place of strength. Is there any comfort you have in his love? Are you being fortified in his love? Are you being provoked to a place of strength in his love? Is that taking place within you? And as we we look at this word, any comfort from Christ and his love, I love that because if there's anyone who understands how valuable comfort is, it's Christ. I mean, he went through times like we all do where he came to crossroads of despair. We see him in the garden of Gethsemane where he, the life, the way, the truth, and the life, he is life, even despaired of life. He knew what that was like when he needed to be comforted. We see it when he sees Lazarus and he's died and Mary and Martha runs up to him and he weeps because he senses the need to comfort and for God's comfort. We see it when he hears that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. I mean, he had a, a great affinity with, with John. You know, they, John really understood the mission of Christ. So much so that he recognized them as he came to be baptized, recognized who he was. But not only that, John would turn to his disciples and say, I must decrease so that he might increase. I mean, he saw Christ for who he is. And in the same way, we look at Jesus' disciples, and while that was happening, they were busy arguing over who's the greatest Who's going to have the best seat in heaven? I mean, they couldn't see the wood for the trees. And in the midst of that, Peter is chopping off people's ears. I mean, it got a little bit uh, tumultuous with them. But, but John got Jesus, and John is beheaded. And when Jesus hears this, it says he withdraws. Have you ever had that moment where you pull back? You just, you just need a respite. You need, to, you need to find comfort because things are coming at you. He withdraws, and he 
withdraws to a solitary place. And he's on the boat with his disciples. And there's this moment of him finding comfort in God. And he's heading off and he's going to a distant shore for some quiet. And when he gets there, the people have heard that Jesus is going to be arriving. And they run and they gather on that distant shoreline. And as Jesus arrives, I want you to see how he responds. Because there's times when I'm feeling I'm needing to withdraw. I'm wanting to comfort myself. And it's not that fortifying, provoking. It's that sort, I want to get that couch and just curl up in a ball and uh, withdraw to myself in my solitary place. And if I get there and I find Luke, my son, has beaten me to the couch I want to withdraw, and then, then things get a little bit uh, interesting in the household. But watch what Jesus does. Mark 6, verse, uh, 6, verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I love this about Jesus. He had compassion on them because he could understand. He had experienced his own moment of needing comfort and compassion. And so he was able to recognize their moment of needing comfort and compassion. I love this about him. He, in his divinity walking through humanity knows everything that we have experienced, every need, every moment, and he's able to respond. And he comes to comfort us, to fortify us, to strengthen us, as it continues to say in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3, that you would know comfort from the God of all comfort, not just some, not just the measure, not just a little bit, the God of all comfort comforts you. He comes to comfort you in all your troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the trouble, with the comfort we have ourselves received from God. There's something he comes and he brings all comfort to you, to fortify you and strengthen you, to give you a reservoir of comfort that's not just going to be stagnant, but it's going to overflow so that you can comfort others that are in need. Saying, have you known this comfort, this love, this compassion, this attention that is ours in Jesus? And then those first two questions that he asks are dealing, um, dealing with Christ. But the second two questions he asks are dealing with the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to look at that. He asks the first two where he says, Have you any encouragement from being united with Christ? Any comfort from his love? And then he goes on to say this. Have you any fellowship with the Spirit? Any tenderness and compassion from him? I want this to be homework for you. I'm not going to go through this. This is a right here, right now season where we've got to take our spirituality, take hold of that for which God has taken hold of us. We've got to be serious because it's harvest time and God is doing amazing things and we need to say, Lord, I, I want to grow in all that you're doing. And so I want to challenge you in this. I want you to take this and I want you to pray this for yourself. I want you to process it. I want you to begin to ask and to question. I want to, when it says, if any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, I want you to go, and even as Julian reminded us about that a few weeks ago, about relationship and life in the Spirit of God, I want you to go and to pray and say, Lord, Spirit of God, I want to know what fellowship with you looks like. I want to know what it means to live and to move and to have my being in you. I want to know what it feels like that even as you descended like a dove upon Jesus and remained with him and led him 
and power and purpose. I want to know what that looks like in my life. I want to be sensitive to you. I don't want to be hardened. I don't want to find myself in situations where I'm trying to rally my own strength and wisdom and and ability to do something. I want to know what it means to be plugged into the life source that I can live naturally supernatural, that as I start to go and to move around, I can trust for your voice and for your wisdom and for your insight and for your power and for your life to be flowing through me, that I can be a conduit for the kingdom of heaven to have impact here on earth. Spirit of God, I want to know what fellowship looks like with you. I don't want it to be about religion. I don't want it to be about information. I want it to be relationship. I want it to be not just information, but transformation. I want to change. I want to know what it means to be a man of the Spirit, led by the Spirit. I want to know what that looks like. I want to experience that in a fresh and a tangible way. And Paul is saying, if you, ask, if, these, if you allow these questions to find their answers in God and His relationship with you, to buoy you up and to carry you, that you get to live out of that place by His grace, not trying to strive and stir it up, but knowing God is doing this in you and you get to live out of the grace of that and respond. Then he says, this is how you, this is how it applies. This is how it outworks when this is true in your life. Then you make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. He's saying, take this that God has put in you and fueled you with. Take this which God is doing within you and allow it to increase so that it begins to overflow and to touch others. The same love. Not my love. My love's not good enough. My love, it scares me. I don't have enough love. But I want to say, when I start to receive His love, there's no reservoir within me that can hold it. It starts to break open doors and knock open gates and and shift things and change things. It becomes effervescent. It's boiling up. It's spilling over. There has to be release. It's the life of God flowing forth. This is what Paul is saying. What does it look like? My son, my little guy Mitchell, yesterday on his little plastic black uh, motorbike was scooting around the house, and um, he's into the habit of popping wheelies. And uh, he popped a wheelie a little bit too strong and went sliding on his back and his head a little bit down the tiles um, yesterday. And it was an amazing thing to see, not to see him doing that. That would have been amazing, but that wasn't it. The amazing thing to see was how my son Luke... You know, we, we, we pour out love on, on, one, on, on our children. You pour out love and you encourage them and you comfort them and you start to um, have a relationship with them. You show them tenderness and compassion. You say, boy, it'll be okay. It's all going to be fine. And those things happen. And it was an amazing thing to see how we pour love into Luke. He was able to pour love into little Mitchell. I got there late, but I arrived to him saying, it's going to be all right. You're going to be fine. I love you, boy. Where's it sore? And it's this beautiful picture. In the same way that God pours that love into us, the same way we get to release it and to pour it to others. And it's a right here, right now word. Can I encourage you with that? Wally, you can give a testimony. Are we on? Okay. Thanks, George. Uh, Yvonne and I were uh, flying to Cape Town uh, during the holiday period, 
um, and I um, forgot to pre-seat. So by the time I had done that, we were in seat 21. If you know the Mango airplanes, they are 40 seats, and all the action when you get on is around 20 and 21. Anyway, there is a, what happens is the 1 to 20s go in the, uh, that nice walkway. The, the 21s to 40, they go downstairs onto the tarmac, and then you have to climb up the back of the airplane. On the aluminium staircase at, at the bottom of the uh, walkway or the staircase is a sign that says, watch the step. I read the sign, but I didn't watch the step. So I stumbled. And in stumbling, I stretched out my hand to save myself, and I cut my hand quite, quite seriously. And... Um, I was struggling up the stairs and sort of saying to the air hostess, I need a, a, a tissue, I need something. My hand is bleeding and I was struggling with my baggage. Yvonne was behind me. And she gave me a, some tissues and I started to dab it on my hand and I said, give me a plaster or something as well because I'll do that when I get in. So I struggled and battled my way into the seat 21 and now I'm trying to favor my hands as I put the, the bag up and I just can't because it's sore and it's bleeding and, and at that moment a very distinguished different looking gentleman said let me help you and he took my bag and he put it up and then I reached for Yvonne's and he said let me help you with that as well so he did I sat down and I was now trying to get the plaster organized to stop the bleeding completely. And a man tapped me on my shoulder. And he said, sir, do you know who helped you? And I said, I don't know. He said it was the king of Botswana. And I said, gee, you know, I sat down and I thought, why is he sitting in the back of the plane anyway? But, and as I... As I thought about it, I heard the real voice, that real small voice saying, Wally, I saw you stumble. I saw the blood. I lifted your bags into the into the. It was Jesus saying to me in the most clear terms, you know I am omnipresent. I love you. I put your bags up. So it is very practical. Thank you, Wally. I just want to take a moment to pray for us. I want to just pray that we... I just want to ask, can we just close our eyes just to pray for a moment? While we do that, you know, we've just spoken about these beautiful truths that are ours in Christ. But they are ours in Him, and He, he loves to give them to us. But we have to respond and receive them. And he's coming and he's pursuing us in his love and saying, I'm wanting you to know these things and receive these things. And I'm just very aware that as I'm speaking of his love being lavished upon you, that we are the children of God, that maybe there are those here today that have never 
taken that moment to say, Lord, I want to ask you into my life. Maybe you've, you've known, you've been around, but you just haven't made that response. And you felt him pursuing you. You felt him drawing near. You felt him calling you. You felt him leading you, but you haven't come to that moment. I don't want to miss that moment. I want to give you every opportunity to receive the fullness of what he has for you because he wants to lavish his love upon you and he's wanting you to know what it means to be united with him and know that he's with you. If you're here and you haven't given your life to Jesus, I want to say this is the moment to do so. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else than raise your hand so that I can see it and be in agreement to pray pray with you. Is there anyone here that hasn't taken that moment to respond to Jesus? Thank you. I see your hand. Is there anyone else here that hasn't yet taken that moment because it's such a joyful moment in God's heart. And I just want to be in agreement with you for it. Anyone else? Right here, right now, you want to say yes, me as well. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to pray. And, and I just want to ask, even as you responded to that, just pray in your heart with me. And just, uh, I'm going to be in agreement with you. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for what you've done on my behalf. I thank you, Lord, that I can put my old ways behind me and I can choose to follow and walk in the fullness of life that you have given me. I thank you, Father, for the love that you have for me in sending your son. I believe he died and rose again for me. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving me your Holy Spirit. And Spirit of God, I pray that you come and that you just walk with me, comfort me, and lead me into all truth. I pray this in your mighty name. And Father, I thank you that even as I pray that with that individual, I thank you that all of heaven rejoices, that you are overjoyed, we are overjoyed. What an amazing moment, and we just applaud you for who you are and what you've done.